try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people all across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name's Darcy. And this is the last, at least for a little while, this is the last of our special events podcast. Uh, we were part of a, an event tonight called Arts Dance, and I want to thank them and everybody who helped organize and all the people who went to the planning meetings and Danny and Kevin who put a lot of work into this. It was a lot of fun. I would definitely do it again. It was a blast, and uh, I just can't thank them enough for being part of it to, or to allowing me to be part of it. We have uh, three guests on the show with us. And this is the first time that the, the Jig is Up is not going to be focused solely on Métis issues. We are actually going to be talking more about uh, you know, about racism and things like that. So, But this is, uh, the, the three guests are Gitz Deranger, Michelle Robinson, and Stacey De Silva. And they have a wide range of viewpoints. They are come from various different backgrounds. So it's a really cool conversation to have. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um... I let them pick the topics and kind of, you know, pick how they want they want to talk about and how they want to talk about it. So, I, I hope you guys enjoy. Long live the peak. All right, welcome to Jig is Up. This is our first live event, and beside me is Stacy. And feel free to introduce yourself. Uh, hi guys, my name is Stacy De Silva. My Indian name is Sunrise Eagle Woman. in Cree. My mom is from Northern Alberta, Saddle Lake. Uh, my dad is from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my mom is Cree and my dad is Portuguese, so I joke and say I'm a Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was born and raised here in Calgary. I'm registered out in Saddle Lake. Um, I used to be a Métis, but I'm a Bill C-31 now, because <laughs> the government said so. And um, I'm a mother of three beautiful children. Uh, Sage is 17 and graduated, and Steeden and Cedar, my little ones. Uh, so they take up a big, a big portion of my life and my time. And um, I'm also an advocate and a community worker. I love developing and facilitating workshops for the community. I most recently have been doing some work with Elizabeth Fry and uh, doing my one-woman show in um, the correctional facilities. And yeah, that's where my heart lies, is working with community and children and, and women. I'm really um, honored to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Go ahead, Gitz. <laughs> my name is Gitz. I'm 33. I'm a youth worker. Uh, I grew up in Fort McMurray, grounds of the tar sands extraction. Um, kind of do a lot of things. Uh, just brought you through briefly a simulation of what it is to be colonized. Um, what else do I say? Oh, we want. do a podcast. You and I do a podcast right. as well. Yep. Uh, we have a podcast you can find on Podbean. Yeah, on Podbean and on iTunes. And on iTunes. It's called Drowning in White Tears. Uh, we cover a bunch of different issues on race and racism and colonization, all that jazz. Um, and, uh, oh yeah, I authored a book just recently. Um, it's called Secret of the Stars. You can find it on Amazon.ca or .com. Check it out. Uh, 
Yeah. Was there anything else I can plug of mine? The uh, movie Mother. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in the, <laughs> I'm briefly in the movie Mother by Darren Aronofsky. So like, I got one line, and it, before things go crazy, you can see me taking apart a door. Um, my mom asked me when I showed her, like, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> and I'm like, I, thought she, I think she thought it was a commentary on her as a mother and how she raised me. She's like, couldn't you have just taken, like, a picture? I'm like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, go see Mother. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah, that's me. Okay, I guess I'm next. I'm Michelle Robinson. Um, my Indian Act and Post status card says Yellowknife Dene, but I was born here in Calgary, and my mom is from Yellowknife, and my dad is from Yorkton, Saskatchewan. My dad's actually so white, I'm actually a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution. So it's interesting being in my world and having a foot in, in two worlds. Um, I know that a lot of you just went under Gitz's colonial violence map work exercise and it's a great exercise and a lot of people wonder what's next and back in June of last year there was a book launch that we had done here in Calgary and we're on like book 16 now so I, I highly recommend that if you want to continue learning that maybe you join a book club or start a book club or have a look at some of the recommended uh, things to read and I'm, I'm pretty proud to be one of the only uh, public Indigenous book clubs in the city, so I hope that you can consider having a look at that and, and doing that. Um, we've been very active in the arts community, the nonprofit that I'm with, and I wear lots of hats. I want to definitely plug October 4th. October 4th is uh, the Sisters in Spirit Vigil, and that's where we honor the missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit. And we're going to be at City Hall at noon. And we actually do a, a small march from Stephen Avenue at, starting at 1130 if you want to join us. And then uh, we'll have the mayor and uh, dignitaries speak. And, um, but most importantly, we hear from the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And the other thing that we uh, do as a community is honor our residential school survivors as well as those that didn't make it. And that's coming up. Some people are going to be celebrating it on Friday, but it's actually Saturday is Orange Shirt Day. So if you do have an orange shirt, please wear it. And please talk about residential schools to people who may ask or maybe start those conversations. And uh, those, those are a few things about me and I guess the last thing I might try to plug is that I'm, I'm actually running for city council. So, so I, I really encourage everyone to vote on October 16th. Um, electionscalgary.ca has a website that shows everybody, but if you live in Ward 10, I'm just saying I'm running in your area. You might, might want to be a part of voting for the first First Nation woman. So thank you. C31. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, Michelle is actually the first First Nation woman to run for city council, so that's kind of a big deal. That's cool. Um, so what did you guys want to talk about? I mean, there's lots of topics. We could talk about uh, colonization, art appropriation. Uh, Ooh, art things. appropriation. Okay. Gets picked that one. Let's do it. So what, you start us off then. Um, I think... Oh, God. Uh, art appropriate... People who appropriate art, like artists that don't quite understand what colonization is... They're like the worst kind of people, along with uh, like white feminists that don't understand intersectionality or hippies in general. That's like the holy trinity of colonization right there, you know? <laughs> and if you listen to how they speak, like now, artists, they carefully dance around the issue of cultural appropriation. They'll say like inspired by, when really they mean like just flat out ripping off. 
Um, see, so look at those that god awful art that's um, on the west side of town. What, what's that thing called? Beaufort Towers. Yeah, like the it's totally. It was one of those things where like, why would they create something that looks like our old graves? And it's from some bougie dude out in New York who took that concept, bastardized it, and called it art. It's one of those things I just can't stand, and I see it all the time. You know, I don't know. Are there any other like forms you see of? Art, artists ripping us off. We get paid jack shit out of it. Hmm. <coughs> I guess I'm going to have to either of you. <laughs> just examples. What, I mean. I, you see it a lot online, especially uh, while well, the news breaks online. Like there was that lady that tried to do the art show in Toronto, um, and her art was like basically a carbon copy of many indigenous artists, and uh, she tried to. She was inspired by. Um, and I guess that would be my question is. Like what? It, the, like the inspiration defense. Like what is inspired, and what is copying? And I that seems to be a real hard thing for people to understand. So I don't know if, if you guys have any ideas on that, but I can just tell you a little bit of the experiences that I've had with that. Like trying to talk to exactly who gets described. Um, people who are in incredible positions of power yet don't realize that they are and take our art and put it up in a way that that doesn't actually tell a story and then what happens in the non-indigenous world is that everyone says oh look you know we're we're honoring them we're including them when we're still them and we're not the people getting paid we're not the people who um got to be a part of the process in any way and it's certainly not telling one of our stories and that happens all the time every single day and trying to have these conversations um, has been very difficult. I was at an ego trust conversation yesterday and they had the most British guy who is incredibly in denial of colonialism and his country's history. And he spoke at length uh, how we have to use Margaret Thatcher's words in order for us to try to hit the mainstream on climate change because we're not going to talk about colonialism and we're not going to talk about why we're here. We're not going to talk about the rights of indigenous people or the rights of the land or anything like that. We're just going to try to really hit those, you know, people who are center or center right and talk to them about how maybe we can have conversations about climate change rather just being honest about indigenous issues and colonialism and fixing it from the root of the issue. That's awesome. <coughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like wondering, oh, what's saying too much? What's, you know, like I have a really great example and um, it, it's, I don't want to, sometimes I, I'm going to watch, be very careful about what I say and speak kindly and gently. But um, there was a, a really great project that was put on here and it was discussing the treaties and the project came from stories from the people, the people of the land, the Blackfoots and all, all of Treaty 7 area, where it was part of this project and building it up and everything. And um, there was a great man who was non-Indigenous who, who had this great idea <laughs> about putting this project on and, and um, he passed away. And when he, after he passed away, the project, like, it kind of turned and, and it turned because of money um, and a non-Indigenous woman that was to kind of took over and 
kind of took over the whole project, the whole play, the whole performance art. And, and it just so happened that a lot of the performers um, dropped out, you know, they, gave, they resigned because they were so upset. And every time they tried to voice their opinion of what was happening with the project, they were just shut down. And <clears throat> a lot of the artists spoke out about it on social media. Um, and they wrote letters to the organizers and stuff. And I feel like some, you know, like when stuff like that happens, it, it discourages us a little bit or empowers us. I mean, there's that sense of resistance and makes you want to fight to, to do the proper show that comes from the people. Um, and I mean, that's what's fabulous about our people, the strength and the resilience. But I mean, it's for, for some of us artists that aren't, aren't connected as good in the community and have, you know, have other major roles in our lives as, as parents and stuff like that, it's hard to feel um, supported and to feel like you can grow in a community that you, that it feels like it, some of those things, higher power and people with money can, you know, bring you down. And it's like finding the grassroots way, I guess, of going about doing some of these projects and events, I guess. Make sense? <laughs> I think it does. One of the things I constantly struggle with <clears throat> is when white people take things over. Like they take things, you know. Paul Mooney, the comedian from the, um, from down in America, talks about how white people take everything. Um, so you have to be really, as people of color, you got to be careful about what you have around them because they'll take it. And he talks about people that they've took, um, and they 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 put on like a platter and they raise them up, and they're, they're it's like they're no longer those people. It's like they're people now. Um, when I think of that, I think of stories that they've taken. And uh, I just watched Iron Horse, no, Indian Horse, uh, Richard Wagamese's book that came to life in a movie. Um, it was difficult and painful to watch because the dude who was directing was white and the producers were all white and they had a vision and they could see things, but it wasn't through our lens. Mm. And there's the idea like, oh, well, it's cool seeing our people being like paid and getting work and starring in a movie and the guy is talented but when it came to the actual trauma of the residential schools it came like i saw it as this like doing things for shock um almost like a colonial poverty porn where he was gonna be like oh, i'm gonna do this and this and this and this and he kept the narrative of the kid the main character his demons until the end like he left it all out for that final shock to give you and i remember being kind of disgusted at the end of the movie and i'm thinking why do they think they could tell our stories? Like these are sa these are our sacred stories. And I had to leave because I was so angry. Actually, I went there with Liberty. Is she still here? No, she left. Oh yeah, I went there with Liberty. Went to go check out the movie. And at the end, I just had to leave. That a Q and A. And if I was to stay, I would have asked him if he, as a director, thought he could direct something. If he was given the script to, of Get Out, if he thought he could do just as good a job as uh, as Keel. Was it Keel? It was Key. It was Key, wasn't it? Hmm. Key and Peel. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was Keel. I was wondering if he could actually, if he thought he could do just as good a job. And the answer is he can't, yeah. you know, because you're, you're, you're telling a narrative that isn't yours. And I always find they, they when white people get in, they get lost in whatever, whatever it is that they're in. And they try doing a better job almost immediately. And that comes down to that white consciousness, that white supremacy. Um, so you that. see it with that. Yeah, yeah, I see that for sure. You know, and I, I bet you in the beginning she wasn't like that. Yeah, like she thought she was making it better and... No, but in the beginning, I think she might have came from a more humble place. Yeah. And the longer she was there, she got too familiar. And then she decided, I could do this better than anyone else can. Hmm. It's sad. Huh? Does anybody have any questions that they'd like to come to the mic and, and ask? Melanie does. 
Well, I'd like to ask, because um, Michelle, you're heavily involved in politics. So when it comes to this appropriation, like we've oh seen, God. there's policies and things like that. The city of Calgary has an art policy and all these governments have art policies and art, you know, they have committees and commissions and boards for everything. And what, what you never see is there's never an indigenous lens on any of these boards of any of these commissions. So like from a policy standpoint, is there... Is, would that set a better standard if if our actual representatives and the, the commissions and the decide on these things actually had some indigenous lenses? <laughs> it, that's a loaded question because you're welcome. Where where do we even begin? Let's start with uh, the Calgary Board of Education. We've had indigenous people put forward um, their resumes, get interviewed, and then they get rejected. But the Calgary Board of Education doesn't actually have a mechanism to explain why they reject anyone, native or non-native. So once they've done that, um, they actually have First Nation, Métis, and Inuit positions that they fill with non-Indigenous. And they just feel, oh, well, we've always done it that way, so it's somehow acceptable. And I've told every school trustee it's 100% not acceptable. So you need to do two things. You need to have a policy on hiring as to why it is you reject people because there has to be a reason. And if there's not a reason, then it's just white supremacy saying, look at a crazy bull. No, we're not hiring them over a Robinson. And that's the problem is that white supremacy right from the start. Um, so when we talk about uh, these other projects, we never get hired. And there's no mechanism as to why. So if you look at the major players that are in charge of the different departments of the city of Calgary, they're almost all white, all men. Um, there's, there's one woman, or two women, I think, but they're white. And so we don't have an intersectional lens when looking at anything, let alone when we're talking about Indigenous art, let alone when we're talking about Indigenous inclusion, let alone the White Goose Flying Report. Um, that was done by the Calgary um, commit, like Aboriginal Committee. And they had a, a look at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action and, this, and put it in a report of what the city can do. But up to date, since they've released the report, we have not seen anybody implement part of that report. So to say we need somebody at the table to push it is an understatement. We, we need to continue that. And because it is an election, everyone here can push every mayoral candidate and every candidate that's running, as well as the CBE candidates that are all running, and push them on this and say, what are you doing for public education when it comes to Indigenous issues? Because that is one of the calls to action. That's one of the White Goose Flying Report's recommendations, and we should be implementing that. And if the people who are in charge refuse to pick up a finger and learn about Indigenous issues, we are, we are not going to see an Indigenous lens on something like public art or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I can take the mic a lot longer, so somebody better interject here. This may be why you're in politics. Yeah. I think what's dangerous is you have these people that are in power, and they don't know anything about us. They don't know what we contributed to this country. They don't know what we are right now. They just have an idea of us, you know? Um, so this lady who, like, ripped off this artist had no idea who the people were. The guys who came from New York to build that eyesore on the west side of town had no idea who the Blackfoot, the Tsutina... Um, the stony people are no idea whatsoever, but they're going to build something and to honor us, but they have no idea who we are. And if you can't defend something, you shouldn't be talking about it. That's like, I've always felt like this. Even if you have the right idea, if you can't defend it, you still need to learn about it. These people know nothing about us yet. They decide what goes where and they, how much money they spent on that, that eyesore. 
How much money? Uh, a lot of money. None well, of that like, went to indigenous like 500,000, 500, I think. None of that went to an indigenous person at all. An indigenous person in this community of Calgary, there are artists that actually would could do some things with that money. I would love to have that money. I could do some things with that money. You know, it'd be great. But that went to a non-indigenous, non, non non-Canadian person. One of the things I always come across uh, when you talk about this, especially when it comes to, like, you know, local artists and stuff, is people go, well, I don't know how to get a hold of a local artist. Well, how do you find a local Indigenous artist? And, like, I think that's kind of a cop-out. I mean, there's Google. But they know where to go to get cheap gas. Right, yeah. You know? So, I mean, I mean, what do, you, what do you even say to that? Like, well, how do, you, how do you find somebody to, you know, where are the local Indigenous artists? Like, I, I don't even know how to answer that, really. It's like, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But that's the answer you get. How do you find somebody in, like, New York right? to come build something? Yeah. Like, how do you go across the continent into another country to find somebody to bring here to build this, but you can't just drive to the edge of town in Sutina, go to the band office, go to like the, the place where you get cheap gas and smokes and fireworks <laughs> and see the gift store that's connected to it, the one that you've probably bought like a purse or something for some somebody and not ask, you know? They were honoring. <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's, I just like laziness. I always see just laziness and a cop out. No. <laughs> I think, you know, Stacy, she's one of the artists. And I don't know how many times I have to say, well, do you know, Stacy? Do you know this person? Do you know this person? And I don't know if people just not pay attention. I mean, if you were to Google, you know, Indigenous Treaty 7, like all of our people show up. So I don't understand. I don't understand why people don't know what the Indian Act is. I don't understand why people don't know why we still live under it. Like, to me, this is like, hey, the sky is blue, the grass is green, we're still breathing. But, you know, the conversations I have with people are so far spread sometimes. And uh, it, so it, it's really frustrating when I get asked those questions. I had a cyclist right here. I said, hey, why don't you come eat with us? And he's like, well, you know, you guys just need to accept Jesus into your heart. And then, and then that, that reconciliation starts here. And I'm like, so, you know, what about the legislative barriers, anything like that? He's like, oh, no, 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 that that all starts here. So um, so we're, we're just having such different conversations with uh, people. And uh, please, somebody come to the mic, ask a question, because if not, you're going to hear my voice and I'm going to bore you. I promise. I just <clears throat> I just want to speak to you. <laughs> you're talking about Michelle. Sure. Um, thanks so much. I love you. You always give me such <laughs> good props. Um, I, <clears throat> how I guess people don't know how to get a hold of you, we end up taking on other jobs because there's so much other work in all these other areas. I guess I, I, I grew up in Calgary and then I moved away to Vancouver and I took some theater training. And then I moved back because I used to hear everybody talking about, oh, you know, everybody goes and gets training and then they move away and nobody stays and helps and helps their people and build, build it here. So I moved it back. And when I came back, like the one theater company that was Crazy Horse Theater Company was running um, before I had moved. When I came back, it wasn't here anymore and there was no central place. There was no place for artists to go. They're like Aboriginal artists and Indigenous artists. Um, you know, and, and feel for myself, I guess, part of part of the community, again, it was easy in the beginning growing up with it because <clears throat> I guess being an urban Indian, I had all um, multicultural, all kinds of friends, you know. Um, but going back to, I guess, some deeper 
rooted issues around um, artists and kind of as for myself when I look at colonization and the trauma of residential school and how it has trickled down in my family because my grandmother was a is a residential school survivor and um, my parents had a really rough upbringing and they were to be independent very young so they had jobs at 13 14 and were living on their own at 13 14 and very independent and very strong and and my my mom sheltered me a lot she didn't tell me about the history as I was growing up um, she always used to tell me like oh learn about it you know you learn about it in in college you know ask your social teacher and I remember being in, in one of my social teacher classes and just asking him because I really wanted to learn more and more and I was like this, this can't be right like I, I, I experienced totally different stuff what is he talking about and can you tell us tell me more like the other the other story and and he would just sit there and he would write as far as his arm could go as high as he, he never got off of his chair and he would just and he told me oh you can learn about it in college when you go to university if you go and I was just like okay so I took it when I went to university and I learned all about it and then I did good and I, I was following my career and my path and everything and then <clears throat> as, I, as I started like taking these classes and, and I started paying attention you know like are people treating me that way because I'm indigenous like I, I think I was just so naive before that before I learned about it that I just thought people were just rude but then I started realizing this is happening because I'm indigenous and then and then it just was like on I start ha my, my kids there's this big cycle when we talk about colonization and, and the child welfare system and um domestic violence and all these kinds of things that can come into a person's life that has been through um, the traumas of residential school that trickle down through the family. Um, but it, it's something when these things happen to you and as an artist, it, it kind of, it's a challenge to work through those, to work through those traumas. You know, it's like people, I'm getting totally, am I going on a tangent here? No, keep going. Okay, so, so then, like as you go through these traumas and stuff so then I secluded myself to I guess maybe protect my children and got a little fearful of, of being in the community and have and, and speaking my truth and not being judged and not being I guess asked some of those deeper questions and those you know it's the work the work that I wanted to once do, like with film and everything and being an actor on a t big TV screen and stuff, it changed largely after I went through those traumas and stuff to more community-based work where I wanted to help families and I wanted to help them with my art as an artist to teach them how to tell their story, to be empowered by the challenges that they face and so that I could share my challenges with my stories and in some way create some change, some understanding, some forgiveness, some opening our hearts and, and going to spirituality. And so, I, I don't know, I think if there was a hub, if there was like an artist hub, and again, that's money and that's, and that's government and that's them colonizing us again, separating us, let's not give them a place to meet, you know, like let them deal with their things in their <laughs> little communities if that, 
That makes sense, I hope. Makes sense to me. I mean, to this day, if I go light a smudge anywhere in, in a public building, then they're absolutely going to call the fire department and probably arrest me and all sorts of stuff. So, like, Or if we go to door to door with our <laughs> smudge. Yeah, I know. People don't like that, that's for sure. <laughs> so we, we got the sign to wrap up, so I don't know if you guys have one last comment you want to make about... Yeah, I got one. Go if, you want, if you want to see, like, systemic oppression that still perpetuates racist ideals... Um, and cementing that into the minds of youth and everybody, just like go across the river over there to Fort Calgary and you'll see all these racist exhibits. Um, they have a new good, they have a guy that's working there really, his name is Troy Patnaud. He's great. He's trying to revamp everything. Um, it's, it's a, it's a celebration of white success over there at the Fort Calgary. Everything else has been erased, but it's really just holding up white people. Um, even though, you can go to the, um, you know, right now you can go to the museum and see the Kent Monkman, Monkman exhibit. Beyond that, so there, there's a surface thing of like a, a white structure doing good things and thinking, oh, we're helping the people. Beneath that, the actual like thing holding people down is there's not one indigenous person that works there full time. So there's not one indigenous person who holds knowledge. The one lady that did say something, um, Sable Sweetgrass, they didn't renew her contract. You know, she brought this up and they're like, yeah, she's gone. Um, they haven't, even though they hold like these items, they haven't adopted the United Nations Declaration on Indigenous Peoples. There's still this, this system that oppresses Indigenous folks. It's still going on. Just cross the river and go up the street. You know, you can still see these things. Yeah, they're doing stuff that's great on the outside. Doing nothing for us, though, like to make an actual systemic change. And I'm done. Okay. Um, I'm going to say this about uh, nonprofit because I see it all the time where uh, progressive people with a smile say the most racist thing, but because Indigenous need a job, they just smile and nod and put up with it and continue um, being oppressed. It's bottom line. So we really do need to start having mechanisms where people can voice what they have to say and us not be judged for it but rather we actually have you know diversity training indigenous training and a lot of other things that people just always want to fight on and say oh no we're just one human that's that's my rant cool uh i just want to say thank you for the time and the space and understanding absolutely so thanks for listening uh if you guys want to check it out it'll be on the podcast probably later tonight on itunes uh it's called the jig is up so check it out there and then check out Gitz's podcast. Drowning in White Tears. Yeah, which we do Sweet. pretty much, well, sort of every Sunday. Almost every Sunday. Yeah, uh, right. we, we did three episodes so far. We did White Out. We had a white person on the third episode. I asked them all questions about being white. Um, <laughs> get a white perspective on things. Yeah, it was very good. It was cool. Uh, the second episode was... Oreos. Oreos, bananas, and, and, apples. and apples. So being of color on the outside and white on the inside and what that means to different nationalities and ethnicities. Yep. And the first one was uh, talking with Tito Ibarra about... Uh, white people. White, white people. White people are always late to the party. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so check those out. Right. Um, <laughs> and like I said, our, po our podcast is focusing on Métis issues, so if you know any Métis people out there, get them to listen. And uh, thanks. Thanks for having us. Long live the peak. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Like I said, it was it was a total blast doing a live event and definitely would love to do more of those. Uh, if you hear an event going on in your area in Alberta that we can get to, uh, let us know. Shoot us an email at metipodcast at gmail.com and let us know. 
Uh, I want to thank my guests, Michelle, Gitz, Stacy, for being on the show. Uh, they were uh, a lot of fun to talk to and a lot of fun to hang out with for a couple hours tonight. I, you know, our next podcast will be next week where me and Jason back get back to the political rantings and I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about. So look forward to that. And for now, guys, that's it. The jig is up. Long live the king. Hey. My late cooking came from Kawaka to express. Real warrior woman probably popping loose dead. It's poor man's if you wanna talk the language. A hundred clicks north of Virginia's the rest. You still gotta be a chief to wear a headdress. So take your shit off before you ruin it for the rest. You better listen to your heart, there's too many heads. And watch what you say, man, it's way too many feds.